0: Five four three two one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about what is direct marketing today. Can you believe that? Yeah, somebody actually wrote an article about that. I thought that stuff was dead. I thought direct marketing was dead. Anyway, first we're going to go over to Tom Fishburne Crossing the Chasm. Okay, and here's the innovators running up the hill, the early adopters running up the steeper hill everyone will love our new product love 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 he's going to go on to say that this is about the herd mentality you know and and maybe in marketing you know where they're all jumping off for ai but they don't even know how to build a label data set to train the thing it doesn't matter what algorithm you use if you don't have the right data anyway and but the point is, is that there is no bridge right here that's that's certain to get you across that chasm, right? There's no bridge. These people might be very, very different. And uh, I told the story about Pringles last year or last week, maybe last month, <laughs> anyway, where they did all kinds of preliminary testing and... And they sold, the Pringles just flew off the shelves. They couldn't keep them stocked. So they built a couple more plants and started rolling it out across the country. And what they found was that there were lots of people interested in this phase, And but they didn't really like Pringles once they tried them. <laughs> you know and so the demand did not take off as the test marketer the test markets might have predicted and we've seen this in other things you know betamax was much better quality than vhf um the original mobile phones were better quality than the cellular network you know and uh, iridium go as an example iridium the settle, satellite network was uh you know, it was great if you traveled around the most remote parts of the world, um, but very, very expensive. But the cellular network took off because it was, mm, how do you, it was inexpensive. Everybody could, you know, it lowered the barrier of cost, right? I don't think the VR headsets have figured that out yet, but we're going to talk about that as we go into the article. And uh, I have, my latest patent um, is in... A beehive that's uh it's not really new it's just a combination of many many uh, non-traditional beekeeping features high insulation a different kind of beekeeping frame other things like that and um and relatively inexpensive so it's really targeted for gardeners more than beekeepers but um it turns out the bees are more flexible about their housing than the beekeepers. <laughs> And so, I mean, he, I'm probably still in this phase right here, but but it, it it is challenging. You know, it's always challenging when you're bringing up a new product. What the challenges are, are hard to anticipate. So, uh, Tom has drawn this kind of commercial based on a 1991 classic, Crossing the Chasm book by Jeffrey Moore, which was based on a 1962 book diffusion of innovators is it 62 yeah okay which was by everett rogers and uh and so he says you know in a world where we run after the shiny object it's nice to see something that's been around for more than 30 years and that's true and what it says is basically is that early adopters and early majority have bedeviled marketers what appears to early what appeals to early adopters won't necessarily lead to customers in the early majority and you see things like peapod you know and many many grocery delivery services going under the online grocery the the pandemic really really gave it a shot in the arm I I think and now there's a few that are actually seem to be viable Um, sometimes the chasm is hard to see through the hype a herd mentality can lead to companies lead companies to leap like lemmings into the chasm. Uh, another recent example is the uh, the scooter market, the electric bike and scooter rental. You know, I I watched I don't know why I watched, but I watched this video of guys with powerful magnets fishing around in like city ponds, and they find scooter after scooter after sc- these electric scooters for some reason. Thrown into ponds. Uh, and I don't know why exactly. It's just disgusting. Um, all those batteries and everything uh, destroyed uh, Amsterdam. Bicycles. Lots of bicycles, lots of scooters in the, bicycle, in the channels of Amsterdam. Anyway, the VR and the metaverse has been a classic recent case in point. Despite heavy investment and attention, Meta's Oculus platform has struggled to cross the chasm. Okay. We're going to talk about that a little more. Apple's Vision Pro announcement last month took a very different tack, not using even the terms metaverse and virtual reality. In the findings report, Lawrence Vincent recently wrote a fascinating analysis on Apple Vision Pro as a case study in the art of reframing expectations to cross the chasm, as he put it, by positioning Vision Pro as an integral component to the Apple ecosystem that you've come to rely on, Apple is reframing expectations. Despite CEO Tim Cook's proclamation that the device is revolutionary, what Apple did really was pitch the faithful on an experimental approach to get more from existing Apple devices and platforms. While Zuckerberg wants you to leave the world you know to explore the metaverse, Apple wants you to make its ecosystem more seamlessly integrated into your real world. Apple's positioning of the device as a new kind of computer also affects the product's targeting strategy. It's likely to be more mainstream than the existing consumers of VR technology. Rather than identifying as hardcore gamers, uh, Apple's device will likely attract the company's super users who have demonstrated in the past they can drive downstream adoption. It's funny because I went to Robin... Robin McNeil, uh, who was the product manager for um, PowerPlay, Cognos's data analytics platform. And this was in about 1995, maybe 2000. I was up in Ottawa for some reason, and we had lunch, I think, or dinner. And I said to him, you know, what you should be thinking about is, I mean, you've really brought 3D dynamics to data analysis I said what you should be thinking about is 3d and he said how the heck do you do 3d I said well you do it with a VR helmet and uh, he said what I said you know those goggles with a glove and so that you can you know instead of using a mouse you go like this and you walk into a room that has data portrayed if you think that 2d is good imagine going in a room and interacting with your data and the graphics that way I mean it would be interesting and he looked at me and he said John <laughs> there's only six people on earth that think about data the way you do or something like that <laughs> anyway that was decades ago and now you could do that and I highly recommend IBM get in touch with me who owns Cognos and I'll explain my vision of decades ago because you know about 20 years is about how far ahead I am it, it remains to be seen if Apple will find more success than meta at crossing the chasm, but all marketers can learn from how they're setting up to take the leap." Okay, so that's interesting. Um, I was gonna go, you know, I thought, because I thought maybe sustainables were, were early adopters or something, but this is an article not about what sustainable shoppers want, but about what labels we can put on products to make sustainable shoppers think that they're sustainable. And if you look at my LinkedIn profile, I hold two patents in recycling fly ash, something that's put in landfills by the millions of tons every year. <laughs> that one thing would save a lot of landfill space. And it's basically benign, but you can turn it into cement if you're creative about it. Um, so I'm not going to talk about that, because it's just it's just all sorts of organizations. And they, they're sort of intertwined and not worrying about what we should really be recycling, but worrying more about uh, other things so that brings us to threads already compromised needs content guardrails asap according to colin kirkland at media post Uh, on thursday 24 civil rights civil rights digital and digital justice pro-democracy organizations what's interesting is they're not necessarily pro-free speech How can you be pro-democracy and not be pro-speech? Well, you can label yourself that way. Okay, they met with Mark Zuckerberg and Adam Mosseri, uh, head of Instagram, to establish a robust and equitable safety transparency policies for the new messaging platform Threads without delay. The same harmful accounts that now exist on Instagram have moved over to Threads. And the tech giant has a long history of inadequate rules and inconsistent enforcement across a suite of apps. <laughs> what do you expect? What do you expect, ladies and gentlemen? It's not that easy. Business ethics. I saw Lisa Smith put up a job post uh, at ANA for business business ethics. And I, I I almost wrote back to her and said, isn't that an oxymoron? <laughs> Aren't we above ethics in business <laughs> And, you know, but it gets at the problem. There's the old drawbridge problem where you see your your mate coming across the field, running as fast as he can, chased by an army of enemies. Uh, and you know that the drawbridge raises slowly. So you can either close the drawbridge and doom your mate to, d- to death, <clears throat> or you can leave the drawbridge down and doom your city to death. Which do you choose? And that's kind of how these filters work. You can filter everything, or you can filter nothing. And uh, what I think is funny is, you know, they, they lump together neo-Nazis, which I've never run across, actually, in Twitter, election lies. And I, you know, I don't know what that means, but I know that if you followed Nancy Pelosi or or uh, or Hillary Clinton after 2016, the election was compromised, and we should go back and recount and do all these things. Interestingly, we had three recounts after Hillary's uh, after Hillary's election in three different states. I don't remember there being election recounts in 2020. Really, there was some forensics work where they found an enormous number of valid, uh, ballots had been invalidated, where the where the the printed ballots didn't work in notable Republican counties in or in Republican precincts in Maricopa County, uh, where Pennsylvania sent out something like 1.5 or something, 1.8 million mail, mail-in ballots and got back 2.4 million, where Wisconsin had, in previous elections, 12 to 15,000 disabled voters who were exempt from some of the from some of the uh, voter ID regulations and voter on-site regulations of Wisconsin, and it all of a sudden went to about 1. Point, uh, about 160,000, you know, in an election where it was only 20,000 difference. I watched firsthand as the Wisconsin election results came in early in the morning where the, all of a sudden Joe Biden got 100,000 extra votes. Just one update. And so, you know, I- I'm only agreeing with, hillary clinton but those kind of posts got blocked on facebook right i know that there were a lot of treatment ideas uh in covid that got blocked by facebook right and uh now it turns out whoopee you know some of those things probably were effective you know especially since they were endorsed in 2005 by by anthony fauci as being effective for sars but all of a sudden, in 2020, they were, they were marked misinformation. So we have a little problem here in what is misinformation and what isn't, right? And uh, who writes the rules? The fact checkers, of course, have a very vested interest in getting more fact checking. <laughs> I don't know that you get a degree or a master's or a PhD in fact checking. It's a very, very difficult thing, especially since science is not fixed you know, which brings us to climate change, right? I, I'm fascinated by the decay of the magnetic field, by the shift of the poles that's happening, you know, and I know what's happening because they're relabeling runways, <laughs> because they have to change the, the compass heading. The runway hasn't moved, <laughs> but the North Pole, magnetic North Pole, is moving. And so I know some of these things are true, but, you know, that gets marked climate denialism because it doesn't agree with the CO2 uh, hysteria. So we've got lots of things that need conversation, right? Nuclear power needs conversation. Geothermal needs conversation. We need plenty of conversation. And yet, too often, those things are getting blocked. And so I don't have much confidence that Threads will be any better than any other platform, and uh, it says, Meta must implement basic moderation saf- safeguards on threads now or the platform will become as toxic as Twitter. Well, I've been on Twitter since 2005 or something crazy since pretty much it began. Uh, and um, or maybe I think it began in 2007 or eight, I think But I've been on there for a long time. And uh, it seems to me there's better conversation now than ever you know i see posts by conservatives getting bashed by by uh by the other by other people i see posts by liberals getting bashed by conservatives you know i see community guidelines posting something that clarifies stuff that there might be a point to some of this thing these things and uh, it seems all a lot more healthy than the big tech government collusion that we know is is in in evidence and uh and we can't seem to straighten that out either. So uh very dangerous when you start stopping free speech because there often are some little guys in weird little chat rooms that are that have solutions for things that you won't hear if you just willy-nilly block them. I mean, they were blocking posts by by the inventor of, or one of the co-inventors of the mRNA uh, vaccination technology. And other very, very reputable uh, doctors and scientists were getting blocked because they didn't match up with the fact checkers who were not doctors and were not scientists. So let's have a good, healthy fight. (laughs) More fights, less fact checkers. That's what I say. And you can fact check this you can fight with me down in the comments. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll have you on the show. It would be wonderful, right? I don't see any comments yet today. Luckily, I don't have a big audience and so it's not very dangerous what I have to say. Finally, we wanted to talk about direct marketing. And um you know, I think in my in my articles on LinkedIn and on my I'll I'll post my seminal co-authored paper with Connie Bauer about the definition of direct marketing. As far as I know, it was the first uh, peer-reviewed de- definition of direct marketing to ever appear. and um, I think we wrote it in the late 80s and um, it basically said that testing was the key that every marketing effort seeks to cause a measurable effect. It may be maybe you remember the product while you're strolling down the grocery store aisles or maybe you click a website. Every marketing program wants a measurable effect. Some are more direct than others. The difference between direct marketing and everything else is that it's a heuristic system of testing where we integrate testing into our as a strategic weapon. Uh, Is it a tactic? No, it's not. The tactics are what media we might use, what messages we might test, and a whole array of other testing technology. So I wasn't uh, too high on this, but I think it was interesting that that Shandan um, wrote about it, because I haven't seen a lot of direct marketing articles. Um, he focuses on the personal connection, which, you know, again, all marketing attempts to set up at some level, uh, generating a, a A client response and uh, making it measurable it's kind of like the the traditional uh, DMA definition which I've had a lot of problems with Um, it doesn't give a lot of examples it does down here mention catalogs um, and direct distribution not a lot of stories Um, it talks about targeting but you know the targeting tools that you have with mailing lists are maybe less uh, comprehensive than digital Than you know digital advertising with uh, contextual based advertising but he but he wraps up by saying by communicating directly with potential customers or consumers via digital channels marketing marketers can fully control the consumer experience you know foster brand loyalty gather crucial customer data that can be used to enhance marketing spending and roi it's all true but it doesn't differentiate it from any other marketing i wouldn't say So I'll post my article and maybe another article that's a little easier to read. The one with Connie. Connie wrote most of it, and it was hard. (laughs) It's a little hard to understand. But I'll put them both in the show notes, WDMA.org. Go over there, subscribe for free, and you can get access to the members section where the articles for every day are stored. Bye-bye.